Good morning, everyone. I trust everybody's doing okay? Doing all right? Yeah? All right. Well, I guess that's all I'm going to get this morning. Great. I can see what kind of sermon this is going to be. Perfect. Okay. I like, uh, I like a little audience participation. So if you're feeling it, but you're just holding back because you're like, yeah, this is kind of a, you know, predominantly Swedish culture. We just don't really like get out, put ourselves out there. Just like let it loose a little bit. It's okay. Just like, you know, get into it a little bit. That's fine. There we go. I like it. I don't know who that was and I don't want to know, but... Um, all right, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Uh, there's only one verse in John chapter 3, right? It's John 3.16. That's the only one we know, at least. Uh, but we're going to look at some other verses in John chapter 3 that I think are pretty powerful and uh, really get us to uh, where we need to be this morning. John chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 19. It says this. This is the verdict. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Now, we know from last week we talked about this idea that Jesus was the light. And it's this deep, rich, beautiful metaphor. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you can listen to the sermon online. But it says, people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. This has probably been uh, a week or two ago. Uh, but we, there was a bag of candy sitting out on one of the tables in the living room. And it belonged to one of our kids. They'd got it at some Christmas thing. And... Uh, one of the things, one of the items in this bag was a chocolate-covered marshmallow. And uh, we're fostering three kids, and, and the oldest of the three is three years old. And he saw that bag, saw that marshmallow, and decided that was something he was very interested in, as you can imagine. And he wa- started walking over to it. And my wife, Corrine, said, no, you can't have that. That's not yours. It belongs to somebody else. You can't have that. Of course, you know, kids like got a little upset, got a little frustrated that his independence was being uh, constrained, uh, but got over it, and then Kareen walked out of the room. And his little three-year-old brain thinks what all of our brains think. Nobody's watching. I'm not hurting anybody. Nobody will ever know. And so he walks over to the bag and reaches in and pulls out the chocolate-covered marshmallow. His three-year-old brain doesn't have enough experience to know that there's going to be evidence. It's not going, it's going to be difficult to hide. And he takes a bite, and the marshmallow's chocolatey. His face is chocolatey. The marshmallow's sticky. It's stuck on his hand. And mom walks back into the room. And all of a sudden, he realizes, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So he decides he needs to distance himself from the problem. Distance himself from the sin. She walks back in the room, so he quickly tries to fling the marshmallow away. But the marshmallow is sticky, and it's stuck to his hand, and he's trying to fling it off his hand as she's watching him. Now, he's making eye contact with her, nothing to see here, I'm good, trying to get rid of the evidence on, off of his hand. As he's looking at her, as he's watching her, as she's watching him, I didn't do anything, I'm fine, nothing to see here, don't worry, just move along, everything's good. She probably hasn't noticed yet. She probably won't notice. Nobody will notice. It's fine. I can take care of this. The sin that so easily entangles. Indeed, if Paul had known about marshmallows, or whoever wrote Hebrews had known about marshmallows, when that verse was written, they probably would have been sinned. It's like a marshmallow that's stuck to your hand, and you can't fling it off when the authority figure walks into the room. But we all know that there's like this this, uh, dynamic shift that happens. When mom is out of the room, you can do what you want. No worries, no consequences, no punishment, no trouble. Mom walks back into the room and her very presence 
makes you painfully aware of your indiscretions, of your crimes, of trying to fling the marshmallow off your hand. Last week, we asked this question of what would it have been like to be around Jesus, just to actually be around him, because we see this text on a page, but it, doesn't, it can't bring to life in the way that it would have been brought to life to actually walk with Jesus, to talk with Jesus, to dine with him, to be around him, to be in his presence. What would that have been like? And if you were here last week, we answered that in predominantly two ways. One, it would have been like this sense of, of a confidence of, of the truth that Jesus was offering, that he was telling you the answers. And you didn't have to be skeptical of them, that he had the truth. But also that he was good, that he was for you, that he was on your side. So even if you weren't the best person in the world, he was, he was trying to bring you up. He was trying to pull you forward. But that wouldn't have been everybody's experience. Not everybody would have felt quite like that. Um, and, and while that was definitely true for certain people, there's a lot of people who would have felt, being around Jesus would have felt like mom walking into the room when your hand is in the cookie jar or when you're trying to fling a marshmallow off your hand. That's what it would have been to be around Jesus because, and this is true, because Jesus was the light, I think being around him would have made you painfully aware of the darkness in your life, the sin, the, 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 the problems, the things that you are not willing to take care of, that you're not willing to dig into and deal with, the things that you've tried to sweep under the rug. Being around Jesus would have made you painfully aware of that darkness in yourself. And so for some people, being around Jesus was not a pleasant experience. They felt like a kid getting in trouble because Jesus came in with all this purity and this holiness and this goodness, and they realized, in contrast to that, their own darkness, their own sin. And it's like, it's like anything. We've all experienced that dynamic. You know, maybe you're standing in a group of people who are really tall, and you're looking up to them, and you're like, man, I wish I'm just trying to stand up straighter. Or maybe you're in a group of people who's really fit, and you're sucking your gut a little bit, because being around them makes you more aware of what you lack in relation to that person or relation to them. Or, or being around people who have never heard of dial-up, or people who don't realize Pluto used to be a planet, and you feel old. You're like, oh, man. I got stuff in my refrigerator that's older than some of these teens in youth group. Like, that's, that's crazy. You feel old. And so, in relationship to these things around you, isolated, you don't have to worry about that. It's not a thing. You don't think about these things. But be in relationship to these people around you, you start thinking about yourself and engaging yourself in those terms. And for people to be around Jesus, to be around this light, would have made them aware of their darkness. Would have made them aware of their darkness. And I think this is important for us to understand because this is really where the rubber meets the road in terms of our relationship with Christ. When we are ignoring that sin and that darkness in ourselves, Jesus seems like someone to be avoided rather than someone to be followed. Jesus seems like someone to be distanced from rather than to someone to be drawn to. When we're ignoring that darkness in our lives. Now we know Jesus uh, was attracted to people who were sinners, attracted to people who were prostitutes and tax collectors and you name it. He was attractive to people like that. But people who were unwilling to admit the darkness in themselves, Jesus was someone to keep at arm's length at best. Because when we're ignoring the darkness in ourselves, Jesus seems like someone to be avoided rather than followed. John chapter 33 verse 20. John chapter 3 verse 20 says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. That word exposed is not a fun word to feel that way. To feel exposed is not an enjoyable experience. It's painful. 
um, not too long ago, I gave a speech in front of about 60 students. And this is not, you know, something I've done lots of times, but they weren't all kids that I was familiar with. And so you want to make a good impression. You want to, like, make a lasting mark. You want people to be like, okay, that he did a good job, and I was, you know, I learned something. You know, you just want to have that experience of talking to people, like, interacting, giving a speech to people you've never done this before. So I got up in front of these students. Now, with, with students, uh, it can be, and this is not to paint a broad brush, but it can be good just to even get eye contact, much less anything else. Like, you know, they don't, adults will at least pretend they're looking. You know, adults will do that thing when they're falling asleep and then they wake up. They like wake up like they were nodding in agreement. You know what I mean? Kids don't care. They will just lay across the seats and take a nap with something over their face or they look at their phone. You know, you guys try to be sneaky when you look at your phones. You're all like, down here, like, making sure that nobody else sees you. We see you. Don't worry about it. You're not that sneaky. But kids are like, no, I'm just doing my own thing. I'm just going to talk to this person next to me because what you're doing is not interesting. So it can be intimidating to talk to a bunch of students, a bunch of high school students. Uh, so I got up. I gave, you know, my talk. I tried to be interesting, tried to be engaging, tried to, you know, like, keep it, you know, everything, like, in focus. And I got done. I felt like, okay, I'd done, I'd done a solid job. And I walked back to the back of the room, and the person dismissed the students. And one of them came running up to me. And I was like, oh, wow, man, I made a real impact. Like, he at least wants to acknowledge, like, he's probably, you know, all this is happening, like, at lightning speed in my mind. He probably wants to come, come tell me, like, oh, good job, or I really appreciated this, or this was nice, or this was thoughtful. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, and so he comes up to me, and he walks up to me, and he, like, reaches out to give him a, my hand a shake, and shakes my hand, real firm handshake. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is a, this is a good kid. I'm, like, waiting. What's the, what's the interaction going to be? And he leans in. He's like, your pants are unzipped. And then he said, and they were the whole time. <laughs> good news is, I made an impression. That's the good news. And I liked, I was appreciative of the fact, like, just in case I was under the impression that maybe my pants were not unzipped the whole time, he was like, and it was the whole time. So just, just so you know, you don't have to be a little embarrassed. You can be very embarrassed. Like, it's broad embarrassment applies in this situation. Don't, don't worry about it. You're fully in here. Um, Messing up is embarrassing. Like, you feel like you're exposed. You feel like you've done something wrong. And even if, you, even if it's unintentional like that, even if it's a mistake, even if it's just a, a problem, even if it's just a result of ignorance, it feels bad. We don't like to admit it, which is why sometimes when we mess up, we won't admit it, even in the face of tons of evidence to the contrary. We just don't want to admit to anybody that we've messed up. Now, when we've intentionally messed up, when we've given into our lesser nature and we've done something we, shouldn't, we know we shouldn't have done, we really don't want to admit it. And sometimes, not only other people, sometimes we just don't even want to admit it to ourselves. We just don't want to admit that that darkness is inside us because it feels, it's, it, it, it exposes and it feels embarrassing and it's painful to even like let our brains go there. I think reflexively, every time we come into contact with some pressure that maybe we have made a mistake, maybe we have sinned, maybe there is darkness in our lives, we're trying to fling the marshmallow away. We're not fooling anybody but ourselves. We try to say, you know, I wasn't being selfish. I'm just, I'm conserving money for a rainy day. I'm being a good steward. I'm not being selfish. I'm being a good steward. And we tell ourselves that when there's an opportunity for generosity. I'm being a good steward. You know what a good steward does in the Bible? It gives money away. That's what the good steward does in the Bible. I'm not, I'm not being rude. I'm being honest. Did you know you can be rude and honest at the same time? Those two things can happen. You can be rude and honest. Stop being rude. You don't have to stop being honest. Just stop being rude. 
I'm not being unforgiving. I'm holding them accountable for their choices. Somebody's got to hold them accountable. I'm not being unforgiving. I'm holding them accountable. You can hold them accountable and forgive too. Did you know that? You can do that. We like to take a sin, dress it up a little bit, dim the lights, squint our eyes, and it doesn't look so bad. Even the sin in us. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those people who redefine the terms and say that the sin in themselves is not really sin. It's something else. It's actually a virtuous quality. I'm not stubborn. I'm determined. I'm not unwilling to learn. I'm, I'm taking a stand for the truth. Woe to those who call darkness light and light darkness. Here's why our instinct to avoid the light is so harmful. Here's why it's so harmful. Um, there's a pretty common moral guideline that you hear everywhere, and I think we probably, to a large degree, think this, and we certainly hear this in popular culture. Um, if you ask just about any celebrity, it feels like they've said something along these lines. And this is the moral guideline. This is the moral compass I think most of, of our nation at least uses to guide their choices, to guide their morality, or at least says this is the moral compass that they use. And they say something like this, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, I should be free to do whatever I want. This is called the harm principle. As long as I'm not hurting anyone, I should be free to do whatever I want. And usually this harm principle is brought up in situations where somebody says you shouldn't do that. Well, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, I should be free to do whatever I want. Um, so, okay, that sounds good. And I think that will get you uh, down the road toward morality a little bit. But there's a couple things to think about. First of all, sin hurts you and you're someone. So there's that. As long as I'm not hurting anybody you're being hurt by it, but that, that's neither here nor there, I guess. But this is probably, I think, more important when we think about this idea of like how we guide ourselves morally and how we decide what is light and what is darkness even in our own lives. And this is something that's important. Getting comfortable in the darkness makes us more resistant to the light. Getting comfortable in the darkness makes us more resistant to the light. Our phones are amazing tools. They're incredible, right? I mean, there's so much, like, I, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I get, like, phantom buzzes sometimes. Like, my, my phone will be in my pocket, um, and I'll feel it buzzing, and I'll reach in, and there's nothing there. Like, I'm so used to that experience. I, and the buzz is like a little Pavlovian thing going on. Somebody needs me. Something needs my attention. You know, what could it be, right? And, and it's, it becomes such a problem to be distracted by our phones. Like, you'll sometimes see people on dates, and they're both on their phones, and you're like, why did you go out? You could have just ordered Chinese food, stayed at home and done the same thing. Like, why did you go out, get all dressed up to be on your phones together at the same table? Um, we do this, like, you probably, I'm going to guess that you've had arguments with your spouse about this. Like, your spouse was doing something on their phone, you were trying to have an important conversation with them, and they weren't paying attention to you. Yes, sure, they could repeat back the last five things you said, but they, don't re they weren't really listening. Now, I'm not speaking from experience, because I have never done anything like that. <laughs> I always pay full attention to my spouse, but other people I've heard do this sort of thing. I mean, it's, it's an issue, right? So phone manufacturers, knowing this, knowing that we have problems as humans, our human nature is just kind of like, like this, phone manufacturers have built in a flaw in their device. 
So you can take your phone and you can go to your settings and there is a feature in most of your phones that says do not disturb. Do not disturb. Which means that you don't want your phone to be a phone anymore for a while. You don't want your smart device in your pocket to work. You're telling it not to work is what you're telling it to do. Isn't that the craziest thing that these manufacturers have built into the product, something that kind of breaks the product temporarily because they know our human nature. Now you're thinking, why don't you just turn the volume down? Why don't you just put it in another room? Nope, we don't have that much willpower. We got to break the phone temporarily so that we won't get distracted by it. Do not disturb. So you want to take a nap? Do not disturb. You want to like have a nice dinner and nobody's texting or emailing or whatever? Do not disturb. Do not disturb. Do not disturb. Now, do not disturb is a great feature. It's fantastic. Don't, don't have anybody come in and bother you while you're trying to focus on something that's more important. Now, I do that occasionally, and I am, as of right now, batting nearly a thousand for forgetting to turn do not disturb off. So what happens is, is I'll just be going about my day, do not disturb is off. Um, my dad has a smartphone, and it's basically always on do not disturb. I have never once been able to get him on my smartphone. Like, never, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing, but it's always on do not disturb. But I'll turn do not disturb on, and then I'll be like focused on something else, and I'll forget that I turned it on, and I'll be like, huh, it's strange, nobody needs me. Nobody, is, is, nobody wants me right now. Nobody's asking for me right now. I may, uh, somebody may or may not be calling me right now on stage that I'm getting, hmm, one of our elders. Interesting. I won't name any names, but his initials are Paul Maynard. Um, <laughs> do not disturb, right? Do not disturb. Do not call the preacher when he's preaching. Um, anyway, anyway, so what I do is I should turn do not disturb on when I'm preaching, right? That's the moral lesson, the moral takeaway here. So anyway, I'll turn Do Not Disturb, and then I'll forget to turn it back off, and I'll be like, man, nobody needs me. And you start to feel a little insecure. Nobody's texted me in a couple hours. Nobody's called. I haven't gotten any emails. Part of you is like, this is great. All is calm. All is bright. All is peaceful. And part of you is like, I wonder, am I just not important anymore? Like, what's wrong? And then you'll act, look at your phone, and you'll see that you've missed dozens of calls and dozens of texts. My wife, when I don't answer her quickly enough, she will start texting me the alphabet one at a time, like A, B, C. She'll get through all 26 letters of the alphabet, and then she'll be A, 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 B. I, I, one of these days, I should see how far she'll go, right? I mean, because that's a lot to invest. What I'll do for her, if she doesn't respond right away, is I'll t- text her disaster scenarios that can only be alleviated by her response to that text or that call. Like, well, you know, the doctors say that I'll get out of this full body cast in about six to, week, six to eight weeks. Too bad you weren't here to whatever, protect, I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever the scenario is, right? Do not disturb. I think too many of us have turned on do not disturb on our spiritual lives. And the Spirit of God is trying to get through to us. And it's just like bouncing right off. We're not listening. The Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us. Is trying to dig out some sin in our lives. Some darkness in our lives. We've got that feature on. Do not disturb. Don't think about it. Distract yourself. Think about something else. Do not disturb. God, I can't take your call right now. I can't listen to you right now. Here's the danger. Getting comfortable with the darkness makes us resistant to the light. I believe we turn down the voice of Christ in our lives when we get comfortable with that sin and that darkness in our lives, that arrogance, that pride, that selfishness, that pettiness, that lack of mercy, lack of forgiveness, lack of generosity. 
The more we do that, the harder it is for the light to get through and call us back to himself. Sure, I think exposing ourselves to the light is a painful and humbling process, but it is the only way we're actually transformed. And if we have a real desire to be a better human being, if we have a real desire to be more like Christ, it is only through that pain that that happens. As unfortunate as that is, I wish there was a pain-free option for transformation, but God has not provided us one. Probably the most dangerous, potentially painful, and I would say ultimately hopeful prayer uh, in the Bible is in the book of Psalms. Um, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And I just want you to imagine for a second actually praying this prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's a scary prayer. You know why? Because there's some stuff in there. And we don't want God to expose it. Not even to ourselves, much less anybody else. There's some stuff in there. John chapter 3, verse 19. We're going to read 19, 20, and 21 as we wrap up this morning. And you just have to use your Bibles, but I want you to read along with me. As we think about what God is trying to do in our lives by transforming us, by digging deep into our hearts and pulling out that stuff, that junk that's inside us. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But listen to verse 21, not on the screen, just listen to this. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done is not perfect, is not 100%, but has been done in the sight of God. So we have to decide what kind of people we're going to be. Are we going to be, and there's only two options here, are we going to be people who are getting increasingly comfortable in the dark, comfortable with those sins, comfortable with those problems, comfortable with those shortcomings, or are we going to be people who want to be redeemed and transformed by the light? That's the question before us. And, and to be fully confessional, I, as I prepared this sermon, this is a heavy sermon for me to prepare to think about, like, Patrick, you've got darkness in your own heart, and you're going to call people to eradicate the darkness through the, 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 the light of Christ and theirs? Like, what right do you have to do that? I don't. Because I've, God's working on me with this too, pointing out the, the flaws, the things that I don't want to admit to anybody, much less myself. But there's stuff in there that God wants to change. And the more comfortable I get with the darkness, the harder it is for God to call us out of that darkness into his light. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to ask God for that prayer because what it takes to pray a prayer like that in Psalm 139 is an incredible amount of courage. Say, God, I want to be exposed. Show me who I really am so that you can transform, redeem me, and draw me into the light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful to be here. And I know when we talk about things like this, I know we all probably go to a certain thing or place in our mind, a certain issue that we've tried to wrestle with for years and just don't feel like we've, we've been able to do much with it. But Lord, I know that we've tried to manage it. We've tried to call it other things. We've tried to, to excuse it and ignore it. But I just pray that you would, you would dig deep into our hearts and you would draw out that darkness, Lord, that we would be fully exposed before you. 
Uh, Lord, we know that you can see us anyway, and we know we're not fooling anyone trying to fling the marshmallow off our hands, that we're not tricking you. So I just pray, God, that we would be people who fully walk in the light, that we would deal with that thing that we've just been letting sit there and rest there for years, and that we'd come to you, uh, admit it, and ask for forgiveness, repent of that thing, and so that we can fully follow you, that we are drawn to you, that we want to be like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.